Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. We have finished The Curse of Peladin. We just watched episodes three and four. And mmm, was it good? Mmm. Production code is MMM for The Curse of Peladon. That's what our, our little joke there. Yep. Yeah, I and I have known that because you've mentioned that before, and somehow that's not one that ever sticks. Even though I have a great mnemonic device, it's mmm because of those thigh high boots <laughs> and the short skirt on Peladon. And yet, like that's a mnemonic device I came up with a long time ago, right? And didn't remember until you mentioned the production code <laughs> MMM. So. Yeah, that's apparently not one that's going to stay in my head. But maybe after this many times of seeing it and thinking about the production code, I will remember it. Well, it's uh, it follows, um, if you'll forgive me, KKK, which is for Day of the Daleks, which, as you'll know, M doesn't follow K in the... In the <laughs> not traditionally. No, uh, LLL is the next story, because this is the first time where Doctor Who was recorded a whole story uh, out of out of uh, broadcast order it's i think i mentioned this like two months ago but it's very exciting for me (laughs) so they have lll but not iii no uh they don't have okay let's uh, let's let's get into this um they don't have i so a through z of course during the hartnell era they didn't have i because they would probably get confused with uh one (laughs) production codes are all letters so what's there what else is there to be confused with a lowercase l maybe uh or that too possibly uh or o they didn't have o either because it looks like a zero i would assume but again the production codes are just letters so well in in the uh once they got to double uh starting with uh, the savages uh, they did go with o o mm-hmm. and o o o and they also had U and U U. Yes, they did. Uh, but then for now we're into the Pertwee era. What I love about the Pertwee era is that the production codes go from AAA to ZZZ. Mm-hmm. Perfect symmetry. I love it. There's 24 stories, which means they leave two out. Can you guess which two they leave out? I, I, I. Correct. And oh, you already said they have an OOO, so they didn't leave that out. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. A, B, C, D, F, G, A, J, K, K? Nope. No, because you already said K, K. Yeah. Um, N, O, P, no, Q. No? Nope. C, B, W, X, Y? No. No, I know. They didn't leave out Y, 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 because I know which one that is. I'm just guessing random letters at this point. You better just tell me. V, V, V. Oh, because it looks like like a W with an extra V. <laughs> it looks like a double W. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's why. Although they have UUU, which depending on the font you use, maybe that would look... So, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, W is literally two U's yeah. next to each other. That's why it's called a W. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's why. So, uh, for some reason... And then after that, we never see O or I again. Uh, but U and V are ubiquitous throughout the history of the, the rest of the classic series just like everything else in doctor who there are examples and exceptions and confusing details and it's kind of great i love it it is great (laughs) what i love is they can't decide on a production code for mission to the unknown Uh it's t slash a is it dc is it uh serial t because it was made at the the episode five of the galaxy four because it was the same crew even that. They don't even know what to call the episode. They said, no, it's called Dalek Cutaway. But there's one episode and it says Mission to the Unknown on the screen. That's what the name <laughs> of the episode. I love it. I love it. There's debate. Mm-hmm. 
rigidly defined boundaries of mm-hmm. doubt and confusion. Yeah, got to add those gray areas in there f- to give the nerds something to either be mad about or to memorize or to argue about. It's delightful. Yeah. You know, it, not having all the episodes to watch is like nothing compared to pr- <laughs> production code debates um but yes we finished off curse bell well, i was just gonna say i would happily trade all of this debate for some of those missing episodes i'm sorry i suppose although i don't hmm, i think we get to to appreciate missing episodes more as we get to see them uh when they come back you know that's true like the anime of the world i know but some of them like what if some of them don't come back in our lifetimes then I, I would I would trade some production code debate to be able to see the space pirates, for example. Thank you for bringing up the space pirates. <laughs> it's one I definitely want to see. Space pirates, I think, features a helmet. Uh, probably we probably mentioned this like two years ago when we watched the space pirates. Of uh, Donald G's character it looks very much like the helmet of the ice warrior in the previous story, The Seeds of Death, and of course the same helmet, which is worn here by Islier. Mm-hmm. Not Azixir or Slar, Sor. I lose track of uh, Ice Lord names. Yeah, I, I'm. I can't handle names for anybody. So it has nothing to do with it. I, like, I can't handle names for humans very well either. I'm. I'm just bad with names. Oh well. Well, thankfully, uh, two of the characters in this story are named after the planets that they're from. Three, including Arcturus, actually. Yeah, the planets, the, the actually the stars, their planets yeah. orbit. <laughs> really, I think, you know, we should have called like Sun, Sol. We should call the Ice Warriors Sol because Sol 3 and Mother Spiral, that's where they come from. Right, but then all Earthlings, sh- Earth, Earth should also be called Sol and we should all be called Solarians or something. Maybe they sort of look the tiebreaker, if you will. Well, you're both from the Sol system, so we have to... Break it down to your, (laughs) we'll go by your planetary names. It's like calling you by your first name, which is very undignified. Yeah. Funny. Mm. Good job tying it back into Chris Peladin. It takes a while, but I get there. Mm-hmm. Yep. I just I just love this story. It is, as I was saying at the very end, it is one of the most Shakespearean, I think, of all Doctor Who stories. And that's another reason that I love it so much. Yeah. Like, Hepesh gets this, like, death speech. Uh, which he actually like you know what I like about that is that he admits that he might have been wrong like he doesn't say I die knowing that I did what I did was right he says perhaps I was wrong Mm -hmm. and now it's yours and then he dies sort of gives him a bit of a hero's exit which and it makes sense too because he's literally he's killed by Agador which is the the symbol of Mm -hmm. his his people and their religion and stuff and yeah just you know so many of the the things I mentioned in our previous episode about why I like this story so much, uh, the intrigue and the mistaken identity and the politics and all that kind of stuff. That's totally Shakespearean tragedy stuff going on. And also the fact that we have a villain in Hepesh mm-hmm. who is, yes, he's the villain of the piece. He's the antagonist. And yet he is doing everything from a place of love for his planet mm-hmm. he is misguided he is misled he's given false information by arcturus who i guess is truly the the villain behind the villain uh, but the mover and the shaker in many ways is hepesh and he is you know it comes from a place of love as we say on the incomparable right. it really does because he believes that he is defending his planet and that 
Peladon will lead them into slavery. It's just, it's really tragic and it makes me sad. And I think David Troughton's performance is really nice at the end there too, because this is a man who has raised him and whom he loves and they have differed on the ways to rule their planet. And they both feel very, very deeply about what the direction should be for their future. And yet they still love each other. Hepish is very clear to his guards, make sure the king is not harmed. Mm-hmm. And for all that he says, you, you need to do what we say or you're going to die you know, an ignoble death, I don't believe he would have actually carried through on that. He yeah. probably would have just you know, chained him up and kept him captive after that. But he was trying to use his leverage to get his you know, son, as it were, to do the things that he thought he was supposed to. So it was, you know, like a do this or go to your room sort of threat was actually what it was. It's it's touching. It really is. It is touching, but he is misguided and yeah. stuck to the old ways. And, uh, you know, I feel that you could, I mean, the, the allegory, I suppose, of this story is uh, the UK entering the uh, European Common Union in 1973. Um which you know was a hot thing topic at the time, and you could you could take many different current or past political situations and sort of apply them to uh, to this story in a way, which I, I find is the the hallmark of great drama. Honestly, at, at one point in I think it was episode three where they're talking about him being stuck in the old ways, blah blah blah. Like I was picturing him wearing a MAGA hat. <laughs> Yes, I, Hepesh was Mitch McConnell in my uh, telling of this. Um, yeah, not to say that Troughton was, uh, you know, but King Peladon was Trump in any way, but I, but you know, sort of the leader of the Senate, if you will, trying to wrest control of 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 the country. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it's in a very Shakespearean way. It's kind of a timeless story. Yeah. We have the, the the past versus the future. Do we want to move forward or do we want to be mired in traditions and superstitions that aren't really going to get us anywhere? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I guess we'll find out. I do like that the, you know, it looks like they, they are entering the Federation, but, uh, but it's just a coronation after that. We, we the, the future is untold. We don't get to yeah. sort of see what now will happen. It's not really that much of a rosy ending in a way. So it's, it's a very uncertain one. It's just the first steps of Peladon's entry into the Federation. That's true. I mean, I know that there is another Peladon story coming, yep. which I have never seen. So I don't really know much about it. I just know that received fan wisdom is that it's pretty terrible. You know what received fan wisdom has uh, taken a few blows in the, the course of this podcast, That's, right? It it really has. Yep. But I mean, there are people who's, whose opinions I trust very well who really don't like that story. So I don't have high expectations going in. But sometimes that ends up working to the advantage of the story uh-huh. in question. So it'll be interesting. But I feel like there could have been an awful lot more stories in the future of this world because the idea of taking a planet that is still fairly barbarous and backward. I mean, women are not even allowed in the throne room. Like, would I really want that planet let into my Federation? Uh, I feel like maybe they need to make a few more changes first. And maybe that's part of what they have to go through Mm -hmm. to really get full recognition as a member of the Federation. I just think it's a, a fascinating future that this planet has ahead of it. And there's a lot that needs to be done and that's going to happen. 
and that would have been interesting to to see. Maybe Big Finish will do a whole Peloton series. Maybe they have. I don't know. I you know what? I mean, David Troughton is still around, still acting. Obviously, I I feel like you could do like the later realm of King Peloton. Oh my God, make that happen! Why hasn't this happened already? He's uh yeah. Actually, that's one thing I meant to bring up before is that since between us watching episode one and episode two, we watched Midnight because Verity did an episode yes. on Midnight. So I did get to see David Troughton mm-hmm. again as a as an older actor and he's still he's still great. So I feel like he would knock it out of the park if they actually wanted to do something like that. I would I would a hundred percent pre order the adventures of old King Peladin later in his his rule mm-hmm. and and learning about stuff that's happening and whatever Doctor Who spin they want to throw on it to you know give a, a random companion or a different doctor showing up on Peladin later on and having some intrigue and some more castle stuff. Katie Manning is still doing Big Finish. They have, uh, I mean, like there you could totally have Doctor and Joe go back to Pel- maybe they've already done this. This is the point of the podcast where everyone tweets at us <laughs> yeah. like 20 minutes after the release of the episode. Ah, here we go. Here come the tweets about they've already done a Peloton box that it came out in 2007. We don't know. Yeah, well, do tweet at us and tell us because yeah, I want to. <laughs> I want to get that box set. <laughs> it's inevitable. I uh, if it hasn't happened though, mm-hmm. we didn't know about it. So we're coming up with a great story for mm-hmm. Big Finish to do a Peloton box set to do with perhaps Peloton exiting. <laughs> the, the, the Galactic <laughs> Federation to mirror a certain other uh, major geopolitical event of the 21st century. I don't know, but no, the fact that you could actually have Joe go back, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps a, as an older Joe mm-hmm. uh, and an older kid, like actually them playing themselves now. And it doesn't need to have the Doctor's involvement. No. There, are, we it's well established in Doctor Who canon, uh, both in and outside the show, that companions can end up other places yeah. and times without the Doctor. If this hasn't happened yet, mm-hmm. Joe go Joe returns to Pel. I'm sure there. Now that I say it, return to Peladon sounds like a familiar mm-hmm. title that was probably so. Disregard everything we just said, <laughs> or praise us for what we just said, or both. It's it's Doctor Who. You can you can do both of those things. Timing wise, yeah, we might have come to the exact same conclusions <laughs> that writers for Big Finish came to 15 years ago. And it's just sitting there on the Big Finish website. We will check it after the recording of this podcast to see if we are prescient Mm -hmm. or repetitive. Yep. That's us. That's how we do things here. That is how we do things. Um, What else? Oh, there were fight sequences in this. John Pertwee fighting Grund in a pit Mm -hmm. on film. Oh, yeah. I guess it was on film, wasn't it? Yeah, it was on film. Somewhere during the... I mean, Terry Walsh does a lot of the the heavy lifting there and that, uh, but somewhere... In that fight sequence, John Pertwee hurt his back, aggravated a previous injury that he hadn't for a while, and it kind of goes on to affect him throughout the rest of his time on Doctor Who. Mm. It gets a little bit worse and worse towards his last season. So this is like the beginning of the end of John Pertwee uh, freely doing his own stunts because he got injured in a fight. How did he injure his back? Is it do you just know the general he injured his back, or was it like the moment where he gets his foot t- tangled up in the in the net? Because I noticed that. You know, I I I don't know if there's an actual moment on film where we see it. Um, 
like Ellen Burstyn uh, injuring her back for life in a, in a scene that made it into The Exorcist. Uh, apparently, yeah, I know. Um, no, I don't know if it was a specific scene. I just remember reading the uh, info text years ago when I watched this, and it was somewhere during the, the recording of this story where it happened. Gotcha. Yeah. So this uh, was not action by Havoc, though. No, it was action by Profile. Profile was a short-lived stuntman outfit. I think it was Terry Walsh's, actually, because none of the other stuntmen were the usual, like Alan Chunts or Derek Ware or any any of you know, those chaps. I think Terry Nation split off and did his own short-lived uh, one called Profile. Terry, Terry Walsh, not Terry Nation. Terry, Terry Walsh. I, I would like to see the Terry Nation stunt <laughs> yeah, show. That would be quite something. Uh uh, so I, I don't think it lasted much past past this. I, I don't know what it was. I think I think perhaps uh, um, Havoc had priced themselves out of the market or something like that, or something happened in the behind the scenes world of of stunts. This is so. This is the last time we actually have an organized stunt team. We still will see those same stuntmen pop up again. I think, uh, but but the Havoc days are officially over, kidders. Wow. I know. We've made we've made it through Havoc. Havoc doesn't last as long as you would think. It only was there for like seven and eight, and then it's gone. Wow. It just sort of seems like Action by Havoc is such a sort of thing in the annals of classic Doctor Who fandom yeah. that I guess it's, 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 its cool name sort of leaves it with an outsized footprint in terms of what it actually did. Mm-hmm. Just like something that happens in the next story, which I won't allude to yet, mm-hmm. uh, which it gets uh, assumed as a hallmark of the era, but only happens once. Oh, what could I be talking about, you wonder? I think I know. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it a line? It's a line. I, I know. Okay. <laughs> Act surprised when we get there and at this rate three months from now when we are doing our Christmas marathon of the last half of season nine. Uh, funny. Yeah. Uh, what else about this uh, this here story? Uh, there's there's a rather tearful goodbye scene, or Joe and and King Peladon. It seems ra- rather tragic because you know I'll I'll keep on asking you, and then we'll we'll speak after the coronation. And of course, he never gets that chance. No, that's that's another thing that I didn't mention in our previous episode because we hadn't really gotten to it yet. Another hallmark of this story that I like very much. Uh, a reason that it is built for me, and that is romance. Mm-hmm. I like I like a good romance, and. You know, in a four-episode story, you don't necessarily have time to build out a convincing romance between Peladon and Joe. But I think the actors have real chemistry, and they sell it pretty well for the amount of time that they get together. I, I feel like I have not read the novela- novelization of this, but I would like to think that the novelization, if it were expanded in any way that that would be one of the things that you know now that I'm thinking about it probably the writers who are writing for Doctor Who at the time were not going to lean into that side of things but if if I were novelizing it I would give them more scenes together and actually build out the relationship between them because by the end the way that their tearful goodbye is and I really believe that he wants her to stay not just out of politics like mm. he he wants her because she is charming and warm and sweet and good and he wants a companion like that mm-hmm. in his life and you know his sometimes they say you know you, you end up marrying somebody who reminds you of your, your parent <laughs> and his mother was a woman from earth yep. and i think that that yeah obviously he lost her when he was young 
And uh, and yeah, I feel like that plays into it. And he really wants her to stay. And she obviously is thinking about it mm-hmm. for real. And there's no way that Joe would be thinking about it for real if she didn't actually feel something for him too. So that's another piece of this story that I like that they, they do develop a connection. Yeah. You know, and it's it's teaches Joe like sort of like early on in her planet traveling uh, life is that there are consequences. You know, you build connections, you 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 build friendships and relationships, and it's tough to sort of just like, well, off we go. I'll never see you again. That's true. That is that is something that Doctor Who companions learn to deal with, and she really hasn't yet. And because most of her adventures have been on Earth. So even if there's somebody that she decides to leave behind, they're probably just in another city or another country. (laughs) Whereas this is not only just on another planet, but in another time, it's in Mm -hmm. the future. That's a a big deal. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for a young girl like her. Uh, Speaking of another planet and another time, I like that they point out that it was the Time Lords. It was the Time Lords. Yep, we all, well, maybe you didn't know all that, but yeah. It's interesting though, like what did the Time Lords have to gain or benefit or like why was that particular point in history that the time lords thought we have to intervene there is something that we need to do with the doctor's life to go and make sure that peladon enters the galactic federation well maybe that was one of those sort of crux points in time where if they didn't if peladon didn't mm-hmm. things go really really badly for that galaxy and perhaps others there's you know cascading effect coming from this one hinge point mm. and the time lords are wise and all seeing enough or whatever to be able to recognize that and see which way the dominoes would fall if they don't do something so it seems like it's a fairly insular story in terms of where it happens and how many characters you have but there are wide-reaching galactic ramifications to the outcome of this so it seems natural to me that the time lords would would pick this as a, a thing you got to go do. Yeah, it's a good point. Meddling time lords and all that. Well, they're not though because all they did was just like send w- one of their renegades to just pop in and see what's what. So That's they can true. keep their hands clean sort of like, "Oh, we didn't do this. It was totally the doctor just using like he got the TARDIS to work. Look at that." <laughs> oh. La la la. I wonder what they did with Amazonia as she is named in the credits but not on screen. <laughs> Because she obviously arrives just at the coronation and should have been there the whole time as the actual Earth delegate. So was there like a Time Lord heavy like that just sort of like uh, uh, kept her company, so to speak, and like held her hostage or like sabotaged her spaceship or like got messed with her timetable? (laughs) So like she arrived next Wednesday as opposed to this Wednesday? Possibly. Or it's possible that... Had the doctor not shown up, everything would have gone sideways simply because the Earth delegate was going to be late. Like, she was going to be late anyway. Ah. And oh, if sure. if they hadn't thrown the doctor in there, then it, can you imagine Alpha Centauri just freaking the heck out when the Earth delegate <laughs> is late and then more late and then more late and Hapesh is meanwhile working mm-hmm. in the background? I feel like things would have re- went really badly if they didn't even have a quorum of the entire delegates. They might have actually... Alpha Centauri might have actually convinced all of them to just turn around and leave. And then certainly Peladon would not have joined the Federation. So I don't know that the Time Lords necessarily even needed to do anything to the Earth Delegate Amazonia. They may have been trying to fix a problem that was already existing. I think you raise an important point because something that I never really uh, realized before until that scene where Centauri is is griping to Sorg while Joe and... uh, 
Azixir are like talking to think, oh god, uh, Arcturus was a pain, but this is a nuisance. And uh, Alpha Centauri says, I'm a, ci- I'm a civil servant, not a what a politician scientist. scientist. And I thought, I've never made this connection before, but a, a, a common trope amongst John Pertwee's stories. We've already seen a couple of instances of it with Chin, with uh, Brown Rose from the Ministry and Terra the Autons, uh, or he was talking about him anyway. The man from the Ministry, mm-hmm. that sort of that governmental official who comes in and sort of like stalls everything, and now you have to like sort of work past this bureaucracy that is represented by this this uh, ineffective politician. And now that we're in space, we still have the sort of to coin a term man from the Ministry mm-hmm. in Alpha Centauri because. Every step of the way, Alpha Satori says, no, there's regulations. This must, no, we're gone, we're out. I, I vote yes, but under process, so I take no responsibility. Mm-hmm. There's no precedent for this, so yeah. we, you, how can we proceed? This yeah. is this is, this is dangerous. This, yeah, I, I never put that together before, but Alpha Centauri, it, it is the man from the ministry. Yeah, should have had like a little bowler hat on or something like that, <laughs> just sort of really, like, a little briefcase, walk along. Yeah, yep. put put Alpha Centauri up with the, uh, the notable... Mm-hmm. We, and spoiler alert: We have more men from the ministry to come in this uh, in this uh, era of Doctor Who. So it's all very exciting. Yep, interesting. Yeah, yeah. just a, a note on Alpha Centauri's pronouns. I we've been using it simply because that's what the doctor said, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm trusting the doctor to know that that is what Alpha Centauri prefers, as opposed to I'm not I'm not using it because yeah. <laughs> because I feel like alien therefore it whereas i feel like if this story were done today mm-hmm. possibly they them pronouns probably is is what what yeah. alpha centauri would prefer they, they never uh, they being the makers of the doctor who never referred to alpha centauri by pronoun in um empress of mars when mm-hmm. uh it made a, a cameo with the original voice artist uh yeah. churchman uh doing the original voice he was like in her 90s then um and still is mm-hmm. um and so that, which I thought was kind of cute, actually. The fact that they got the original voice artist yes. and did a CG uh, Alpha Centauri on screen. And yeah, that was kind of kind of neat. But no, they didn't uh, go much beyond that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So anyway, I just wanted to point out for anybody yes. who is curious, the reason that we have been using it is, is because everybody should get to choose their own pronouns. And yep. I'm assuming that that was the, the choice made by Alpha Centauri. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep. Also, uh, last word on... The uh, the outcome of, of Grun, our, our character who yes. who has a disability, not the greatest showing, but it again it could be worse. I really like Grun as a character. Mm-hmm. I feel like he is truly devoted to his king. He is the king's champion, yeah. And all the way through, he is he is true to that and steadfast. And I really like that. He is working for the good of his king. And at the beginning, when he's following Hepesh, he's doing that because he is working for the good of his king. Mm. And as he has shown that what Hepesh is doing is not for the good of his king, that's it's, it's not like he's changing factions halfway through the story. He never changes factions because he's always the king's champion. Mm-hmm. And he's always doing what he feels is the right thing to do for the king. And he's this big, strong guy, and he is scared to death of Agador. Yeah. And I love that because, to me, that doesn't doesn't show that he is a coward at heart or a weakling. It's that he is a passionately devoted follower of Agador. This is his religion. So when he hears the roaring of the 
his god basically he's mm. scared which makes perfect sense i think that is a really nice touch in writing and directing and and acting and the doctor convincing him and showing him the truth of the matter is a very doctorish thing yeah. to come in and i don't feel like the doctor is necessarily being super uh poo-pooing the the religious aspect of it he's he's definitely poo-pooing Hepesh's using of this poor beast to try to mimic a god in in the way that that's not the case Uh, but he doesn't seem to to really much talk down to grun in a way that makes me annoyed you know he kind of says oh you know a a big fellow like you you shouldn't be scared that's a little bit patronizing but it's not it's not the worst Mm -hmm. and then he brings him in and shows him the truth and it's kind of cool getting to see grun have this character arc i think he has the biggest character arc of anybody in this story Mm. and he's a side character who gets no lines because he cannot speak and i just that's another thing that i really love about the depth of the storytelling in this story you even mentioned the scene in the throne room um go ahead and towards the beginning of uh episode four where they (laughs) they sort of hash out the plot without the main conspirators being there arcturus being dead having been shot to death by sorg and hepesh not being there but they sort of break down like oh well here's why arcturus and hepesh had an agreement and this and that and then uh you know who sabotaged arcturus's um uh life support system and as you know hepesh or an agent of him and he sort of like has a look over at at grun and Grunt just sort of like casts his head down in guilt. It's such a subtle look. The camera doesn't doesn't cut away to anything. It just it happens in the background. I thought, what a subtle sort of like admission. Like, yes, I was wrong. Now I am like all in that. Just his bowing his head in guilt. He thinks I am actually on this side. I, as you just said, I'm I'm for the king, and I was misled. And he's the way it's framed. He's he's a tall enough guy that he's in the background, but you can still see him. Yeah. But he's slightly out of focus because he is not the focus of that conversation. Mm-hmm. But when that happens, yeah, you can still see him perfectly framed in the background, slightly out of focus, doing that head bow, like yeah. you say, with I think a very convincing look on his face. I feel like his performance for for not being able to give any lines was really good. Mm. It was a it was a solid performance, and and I just think that it's it is amazing to me that every time I watch this story, I. Find find something else and someone else to focus on. Mm-hmm. And I noticed more little moments like that. So I think that while having the character who isn't able to speak be the big, tough, heavy guy who does the fighting for the king is very leaning into a trope that is totally kind of icky and, and not great. I do feel like he has a deeper character than a lot of the people on screen. Mm-hmm. And he goes through an arc that nobody else except maybe the doctor does because the doctor discovering that the ice warriors are not as bad as he thought yeah. that's a thing he certainly learned something there in in a bit of an echo of the way that grun is learning yep. that what he thought was right hepish's teachings were not correct and i like that he goes on to continue to fight for the king for Peladin, mm-hmm. and it just it warms my heart when I think about this. Like I just I get really passionate about this story <laughs> every time I watch it. I like it even more. It's a great story. Mm-hmm. This is I feel like it's overlooked for some reason um, amongst the other heavyweights in the Pertwee era. But I I yeah this is a this is a very confident step into the uh, you know back into space. I know they went there and colony in space, mm-hmm. but this feels you know it didn't have the trappings of the master involved, which it, which uh-huh. the previous story did. This is just like Doctor Who and companion out in space. No unit whatsoever. Um, 
And it did so rather confidently, I thought. And I think that's one of the reasons that it is overlooked in this era because it is an outlier. When people are talking yeah. about the Pertwee era, oftentimes you're talking about the things that make the Pertwee era the Pertwee era. And this story doesn't really have a lot of those. So I think that it totally makes sense that this story gets overlooked because it is different from what is the usual the huge mm-hmm. for that for that era of Doctor Who and I think that's another reason why I love it so much is because it is it does sort of stick out like a sore thumb mm-hmm. it's it stands up like the uh, the sunflower in those those uh, in those pictures that people put on like their screensavers and, and, and posters and stuff like that like the one sunflower standing up right. taller than the rest which is one of those things that's kind of funny because some people use it to be like yeah you know you're standing up above the rest and then there I've seen other versions of it where it's just like the one that stands up higher than the rest is the one that gets cut down the first <laughs> so it kind of it kind of works uh, both ways for the story I mm, love it because mm. it stands out so much but because it stands out so much it does sort of get ignored because it's not in the same view the eye line mm-hmm. as the rest of the Pertwee era. Yeah. It's kind of like the War Machines being into the Hartnell era where it's such a, like it's set in modern day Earth. It has the army. Like it's very much a sort of a second, late second Doctor unit-ish kind of story. Just does not really fit in the whole, but you know, it is one of those like, oh, let's try this for now. And like, and here we are after two and a half years that I said, let's, let's go back to planets again and see what happens. And they do it. It's the beauty of Doctor Who that mm. it is constantly changing and morphing and it's not always changing and morphing in a linear fashion in it or, or even in an exponential fashion. It is sometimes, you know, zigging and mm. zagging and it'll just like, you know, deek in one direction for a story and then it'll sort of go back and and it can do that. And it's still Doctor Who because you still have the core things that make it this great show even when it's doing something different. I mean, even just thinking about Midnight, which we just mentioned that also has right. uh, David Troughton in it, that was a locked room mystery of its own sort mm-hmm. and very different from the stories that come before and after in that season. And it's great. And people look upon it uh, very, very fondly because of that. And that's, I think, one of the huge reasons that I look very fondly upon the entirety of Doctor Who because it we keep saying it it's a show that can do anything and it does it tries so many different things and all of those things don't necessarily land every time mm-hmm. i'm looking at you sleep no more even though i enjoy you um i just <laughs> i think i think it's great that that's that's one of the hallmarks of this show that i love so much and this this is a story that i like to use as as an, as an example of that of doctor who doing something that's really really different mm-hmm. at the time but actually, it's not really, really different from the show as a whole. It's just, you know, sometimes you try something and you're like, yeah, that's cool. But then afterwards, you kind of go back to a little bit more of same old, same old. And eventually, no, 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 we we like that. We're going to go with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that this is recorded out of sequence with the, with the story that follows it, mm-hmm. you know, that was done partly for production reasons, but also partly just to sort of like, let's not be too samey. Mm-hmm stories in a row they like the variety was a selling point at this point like the previous two years all on earth yep as malcolm hulk said either you got a mad scientist or alien invasion they pretty much stretched those to thin you know as as, as much as they could and now they're saying well here we go we, let's let's try and uh vary it a little bit and and this is what you get you get you get the story of daleks invading earth in the 22nd century and then this sort of quaint shakespearean drama medieval mm-hmm. but on a 
distant planet with aliens in, in the, boxes in the future in the future yeah yeah god i just love doctor who so much this is hey! this is the kind of show that just brings it home to me that it's just this it is this vast untamed amazing jungle of mm-hmm. of cool different things and every corner you turn you see something different and i love it so much it's great mm-hmm. It's good that we're doing a podcast about it. It would really be uncomfortable if like, oh, I don't like this show that much. How many years do we have left to go on this thing? I can't, You know, it's funny because I, I was worried that the Pertwee era was going to be yeah. an era of that, of me going through each story and being like, well, we made it through that one, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, on to the next one. Here we go. And it hasn't been that at all. No. I have I have enjoyed it so much more than i expected yay and there are there are definitely parts like bits and moments that bother me in the way that i was expecting to be bothered Mm -hmm. but especially watching it in context in a row it has really really helped deepen my understanding of this era and just knowing what's going on with the show and the information that you tell me the stuff about the behind the scenes i'm helping (laughs) he's punching the air right now (laughs) useful useless knowledge is coming in handy that makes me happy that makes it useful knowledge is technically uh yeah so it it is I'm, i'm having so much more fun with it than i expected because it is rolling out like a vista and i'm excited to see what's over the next hill if that makes sense Mm. so that's that's really helping i do have some dread for some future eras and right now i'm like okay if i thought this was going to be tough and i wasn't going to like this then maybe there's some hope for the seventh doctor era and maybe it won't be such a chore to get through i feel like that might be different because i've actually seen all of those stories already and these ones there's a lot of newness but uh but maybe i've there's a there's a little tiny flame that's been kindled in my heart of hope that maybe it won't be quite so bad by the time we get there well that makes me happy um the well the, the next uh over the hill or if you will over the wave is the the next story that we talk about do you know what story that is is it the Sea Devils? It's the Sea Devils. And I know that because earlier you alluded to uh, a line that be- yeah. it becomes one of those things that's associated with the third doctor, even though he only says it once during his yeah. original tenure. I know what line that is. Yeah, we're not going to say it now because <laughs> those people might not know what it is. <laughs> sure, maybe yeah. not. Uh, but yes, I have seen the Sea Devils twice, I believe, if yeah. not three. I think I've actually seen it three times because I think I will. You guys did a commentary for it on Radio Free Scarrow. So I watched it, the whole thing. And then I watched it with your commentary. And then I watched it again, I believe, for Verity. It's for Verity, yeah. Yeah. So I've I've seen the whole story at least three times. Mm -hmm. So it's another one that is kind of like well honed into my memory. So that's... there will be very few surprises, but I feel like every time we watch a story together that I've already seen, I learn a lot more about it. So just because I've seen it before doesn't mean I'm not going to get anything out of the podcast. I'm going to guess that whatever I said in the commentary recorded years ago, mm-hmm. uh, I will probably say the same things again, but I will think that I'm saying them for the first time. Will you really think that you're saying them for the first time or are you just going to say them and you're just going to recognize whatever that you're repeating yourself, which is fine because that was what nine years ago or something at least because i was i was not only living in madison i was living in my own apartment in madison which was well before i moved and i've been here for what seven seven years now it's been a while yeah so Mm -hmm. so yeah it's uh six years but um six and a half years you've lived here 
this, this podcast is a very interesting like look at our life. I mean, I know people are, I assume, primarily listening to hear us talk about Doctor Who uh. and the Doctor Who facts. But boy, as the sort of gravy or frosting on that, you, you get to learn a lot about what's going on with, uh, with Stephen and Erica. Uh, for example, right now, we have three televisions in our living room, just as a, as a fun fact yeah. on, on Casa de uh, Verdi Friscaro. Or Lazy Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lazy Doctor Who doesn't like fit in the the ca- Casa de Castria. We'll call it that. Or... I, I suppose, yeah. Lazy Doctor Who is the sort of the middle of the Venn diagram that is Verity and Radio Friscaro, though. It is. It it truly is. Yeah. But yeah, so we uh, we watched the Doctor Who on the main TV, <laughs> the main large TV in the center of the room, uh, with no distractions on the third TV. No. And the second TV just had uh, a the kitten academy live stream but the kitties are mostly sleeping so it wasn't distracting no it wasn't and we usually don't have the third tv in there but there was hockey on last night i wanted to roam around the wild west in red dead online and you wanted to watch the magicians and lucifer so that's why we brought a third tv into the room we have yet to remove that tv because there's more hockey tonight i might want to wander around the wild west again you might want to continue watching the magicians Mm -hmm. so And, and lucifer and Lucifer, mm-hmm. it's on a temporary table though, so I don't, I don't want this to become a permanent no. thing. No. But we have three TVs in the same room right now. We are, we are Elvis at this point. <laughs> yep, and that that third TV is completely blocking off the second couch, yeah. which usually only gets use when we have friends over. And I figured, hey, global pandemic. We're not having people over to our house. That's true. So it's okay if we block off the guest couch for a couple of nights of watching hockey and playing video games and watching the stuff that I am mainlining and marathoning to get me through the global pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't been to Doctor Who that much during the pandemic, um, but that's that's fine. I like spacing it out because that's how it was meant to be. I'm watching uh, tomorrow. I'm watching episode two of the Leisure Hive. I started watching it me and like a bunch of other people by the looks of it because it's the 40th anniversary of the original broadcast of season 18. So I'm watching literally one episode, one 25 minute episode a week, as the Time Lords intended, mm-hmm. um, and so just to get me through uh the rest of this maybe maybe we'll have a vaccine by legopolis part four which airs on march 21st of 2021 mm-hmm. here's hoping wouldn't that be neat that would be neat to watch the the entropy and the chaos yeah. of season 18 play out and the end of the tom baker era as something positive is actually happening mm. in the real world as sort of a uh, mirror universe <laughs> version of of watching things devolve uh, and or come together from the other side. Yeah, the evolution of Adric as a character will be lockstep potentially with the development of a virus antidote and vaccination. That's the word I'm finally getting to. So really, I will take a vaccination as I will call it the Adric vaccination because as I watch Adric grow up into a young man on Doctor Who, so too shall the vaccination of the populace of the earth occur. And my my unofficial goal for this is to watch as many of those episodes with you as I happen to be around for, not necessarily all of them, and work on my season 18 Doctor Who scarf, which I don't know exactly when I started it, but I could look back at the beginning of my blog uh, at hollygodarkly.com. Yeah. I started it because I was knitting 
and watching Doctor Who. And I want to say that was 2011. Like probably around the same time you watched The Sea Devils with this. Con- yeah. I bet you, because you used to have a blog. Mm-hmm. It's still on the internet. Yep. Fangirlknits.com redirects to it, but it is oh, okay. it is fangirlknits.com. Yeah, like it happened around the same time, back before I knew you, but not long before I knew you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that would be kind of neat to have us watch The Sea Devils. And have you complete your scarf? You're not going to. You're two thirds of the way yep. through your season 18 scarf. And that's a long scarf. Yeah, it's like 22 feet long. It started out as 24 feet and became stretched to 28 feet by okay. the end of the season. Wow. So make it 24. Uh, did I tell you about my Doctor Who scarf? My BBC Lionheart Doctor mm-hmm. Who scarf? It, like, it was about 13 feet long okay. as it came out of the package or 10 feet long. And I stretched it. I wrapped it around a pole in the basement and just basically water skied on it until it got nice and stretched. And now it's a big, long, like 17-foot-long scarf to sort of match Tom Baker's actual scarf length. So you can make it 24, and if it's not long enough, we'll just completely mm-hmm. reef on it. Like maybe we'll hang off the balcony on it or something like that. Start with some, some stretched blocking and then yeah. really give it some yeah yeah some pull. That would be fun. That would be fun. I, so it is my unofficial goal to get that done before – or by the end of season 18. So, but the same time as there's a vaccine, okay. I want there to be a completed scarf. And on that oh, I see. and on that note, we should probably end this epic length <laughs> yeah, episode know. of Lazy Doctor Who uh, because there's some Total Party Kill happening on a live oh, stream and I love knitting to Total Party Kill. This Good is a point. this is a rec- recommendation if you can catch a live stream of TPK. It's a it's a great show to knit to because you don't really have to watch too closely and there's hilarious stuff happening so you can you can laugh and be entertained and feel like you're hanging out with friends while you're doing some some knitting. That's also on the Incomparable Network. It sure is. Yep. And those the the ones that I'm watching this weekend are little mini adventures that are only available to members of the Incomparable what? right now. Yes, there's a, a bootleg released of those. And we don't know when those are going to drop because currently we're like a year ahead on content on Total Party Kill. So who knows when that stuff will ever drop it in the be a vaccination week. by the time that happens. Very, very likely, depending on how we handle things. So... Uh, so yeah, I, I don't feel bad about going on this this epic length. It's been a while yeah. since we have have been here regularly, and I think I feel like there are at least a few of our listeners that I know of that will very much appreciate the tangent into what that heck is going on with our lives uh-huh. and probably the people that don't care have already like stopped the podcast and they're not listening anymore until, but you know we drop some more nuggets about curse of Peloton at the very end just you wait <laughs> but you know so like hi mom hi Paul Hi, Liz. <laughs> I know you're still listening. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And hello, binge listeners who like listen to episode one and episodes two and three and four in the space of an afternoon mm-hmm. and just realized that there were two months in between episodes one and yep. two. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Podcasts are cool that way. They it's like time travel in a, a slightly different way from Doctor Who. Very much. All right. Well, hey, it's a long weekend. We might well get back to uh, Doctor Who by the end of this weekend because you are off on Monday. And so usually that means good old Doctor Who marathon on the holiday Monday. And considering how jazzed up I am about Doctor Who right now, it's like, yes, let's let's dive back into it soon. Well, we'll see. With the Sea Devils, Mm -hmm. our next story on Lazy Doctor Who on the Incomparable Network. Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.